This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. It is Thursday, May the 14th, 2020. I think we need to spend as much time as we can remembering the day because as much as we hear, you know, I've lost track of what day it is, what week it is, what month it is. No, if we remember the day, today's Thursday, May 14th, 2020, then we can remember that there is a long weekend coming this weekend, and maybe it can still feel like a long weekend. No matter how your day is being painted or passed, Thursday, May 14th, 2020. And you know what? Encouraging signs. This could be a positive next three hours. You know what? We try and keep things pretty positive. We try and keep things pretty upbeat on London Live. I refuse to believe anybody is ever down and out. I just refuse. But we've seen some challenges. We're seeing some more challenges. That's not going to stop. But I think we are going to at least see some, hey, Look at this. Hey, look over here. Hey, what about this? In the next three hours. In about an hour from now, we will take you to Queen's Park because today is that day that was talked about earlier this week by Ontario Premier Doug Ford. And we've had little snippets. You may have caught Andrew Graham talking about harness racing and how that could be a part of the announcement today. So things that could resume in some fashion, resume in a new normal. We also had the announcement from the province today that we have 258 new cases of COVID-19. If you go back to, say, March 14th, that's a lot because we had 29 new cases of COVID-19 in the province of Ontario on March the 14th. On March the 23rd, we had 79. So 258 sounds like a lot, but... This is the lowest case count that we have seen since March 29th when we had 211. So that right there is a little bit of a positive. But at the same time, we've got to keep perspective. We've got to provide context. It is our job to keep you as informed as possible. So is it time to put on a party hat and run into the street? Absolutely not. The virus hasn't changed. And in order to help us with perspective... And in order to help us with context, we have invited a very good friend of London Live to join us right now to look at some of the optimistic stuff, but at the same time, keep us level. You know, we always need people in our lives to keep us level. If you get, hey, woo, you need someone to say, hey, just just a second. And joining us right now is Dr. Mario Alaya to help us with that context and perspective. Dr. Elia, how is your Thursday, May 14th, 2020 going? It's going pretty well so far. And and again, I promise not to be a black cloud. We're going to give we're going to give uh, kind of both sides of this some some optimism and uh and and some some caution. We'll we'll, we'll get both sides today. You are never a black cloud. People have to know that your Twitter handle if you want to follow Dr. Mario Elia, can I give your Twitter handle over the air? Sure. Yeah, cool. Okay. Yeah. It is Super Mario Alaya, if you want to follow along, because there's all kinds of great things. But no one who has that kind of an avatar, that kind of a Twitter handle, can ever be a black cloud. So Absolutely don't not. worry. We, we don't <laughs> see that at all. But at the same time, we are seeing things like, hey, lowest case count since March the 29th. Time for a celebration. Long weekend coming up. How do we have to look at what we are hearing? So we're seeing a lot of optimistic signs. 
right? Even the last couple of times I've been on, um, it, things are looking like they're going in the right direction. You know, locally, uh, testing is up. We're, uh, and, and some of you listeners may have heard that anyone with symptoms at this point uh, can get a test uh, and, and testing is available. So it's not just a matter of not testing is why we're not seeing many new cases. We're actually testing a lot and, and the cases are pretty low. So again, a lot of optimistic signs, especially in the London area. I think we've been insulated a little bit. We don't see the flux from Detroit like they've seen in Windsor. Uh, we don't see the kind of international travel like they've seen in Toronto and the kind of bleeding into Kitchener. We're kind of, ins- we've been more insulated here. And I think um, uh, we've, we've been lucky with that. And, and the, the, the key is now going to be how do we, um, you, you know, the, the premier is going to announce uh, some, some loosening of a lot of, you know, retail and, and, and a lot of stuff today uh, that people are going to be pretty excited about. The ultimate question is going to be how do we then um, use this information? How do we then behave as, as a city um, when we're out and about? And do we earn the right the ability to keep going and to keep loosening things. Um, because, again, the virus hasn't changed, like you said. Uh, this can quickly spiral out of control, and we can end up right back to where we were. So it, the, the, the impetus right now is on the public and how the public deals with the, um, the, the, the freedoms that, that we've been given. Uh, and that comes across in a, in a bunch of different ways. So the, 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 the first thing I would say is that if you have any symptoms – you need to get tested. Absolutely. There's no question. So those symptoms, again, fever, cough, shortness of breath, those have been the symptoms that we've seen the whole time. But again, the new symptoms as well. So if someone has any muscle aches, um, any uh, headache, uh, conjunctivitis, so pink eye, so red eyes is a symptom uh, in, in some cases, diarrhea, uh, loss of sense of smell um, or taste, uh, that, that being a symptom as well. And now uh, some some are seeing some rashes in the toes or rashes elsewhere would be it would be a reason to seek out medical care. So the first thing is if you're symptomatic, seek out medical care. I've had some patients reach out to me saying their employers have directed them to me. And I would say, well, that's great. Their employers have caught the fact, but really it should be each individual, whether people are working or not, identifying that, oh, you know, I have some symptoms, let's get tested because we don't want to miss certainly symptomatic cases, um, whether people are working or not. So uh, making sure they're getting tested. Um, Employees as well, you know, as people are getting back to work, um, remind your employer of the risks, um, making sure that you're keeping away from other employees as much as you can. I've been out doing a couple errands here and there, and I've seen employees not being as careful as they should be, you know, not keeping that six-foot distance between other employees when it's avoidable, uh, not cleaning uh, commonly used um, uh, uh, key, like I'll, I'll give the example. I was at a bank yesterday, and the keypad wasn't being cleaned between uh, between customers. Is that fall on the employee? Does it fall on the employer? Probably both. But as customers, if we're out and we see these things, don't be afraid to bring it up to the to the manager, to one of the employees, saying, you know, uh, you know, have you guys considered, you know, a, a little more distancing? Have you guys considered cleaning this? And, and not to call them out, but this is all a learning curve for everybody, right? A, a lot of businesses are are, are opening back up. And have not had to go through pandemics before, right? Even my office is a medical office. There's a lot of adjustments that we made in our office. So don't be afraid as consumers and customers to kind of point out to businesses where they potentially could improve uh, in in the cleaning of services, in the distancing of their employees. Because again, the more careful we are about these things, the better. Because uh, I'm not commenting at all on whether things should be open or shouldn't be open. That's a totally separate issue. But with things being open, we all have a responsibility to tr- try to make the best of the situation. 
We are talking with Dr. Mario Elia. Great points. And I love the word earn. You've used the word earn. We get into uh, on almost a condition based on the instant gratification that you can feel. You want to feel instant gratification? You pick up your phone and you play a little game and 20 seconds into it, you've got instant gratification. And our world has come to that instant gratification. we got to get rid of some of that. This is, this is about earning. So if we pay attention, if we do these things, they may seem small. There's a lot of them in a row. But then maybe we get into that phase two. Maybe we see these numbers continue to decline. When you look at numbers, Dr. Elia, how much attention are you paying to them? Well, still, still, I'm, I'm still looking at every day at kind of what our local cases are like, what our ICU uh, admissions are like, what our deaths are like locally. Um, you know, for those who think we're right out of it, uh, right out of the situation, uh, you know, the fact that uh, we lost a registered nurse in the city since yesterday is absolutely tragic and kind of a reminder that this is this is serious and, and, and uh, this will be something that we'll need to to deal with and, and uh, to manage for a while. So the numbers I still look at uh, very uh, very closely. Um, and uh, But again, it's been optimistic numbers, but, you know, come back to the fact that the, the, the more that we were careful about things, you know, the washing our hands between, um, you know, when we touch something that something someone else may have touched shortly before, don't be afraid to sanitize your hands. I know it seems like a bit of, bit of paranoia in a way. And, and some germophobia, but but those little things are important because all it takes again is one symptomatic person. If you, you know, if you can believe it, there are people out there who don't believe COVID's a thing, right? Who you know, if they don't believe it's a, it's a real condition, do you, do you think they're washing their hands? Do you think they're putting a mask on? Do you think they're distancing from others? No, these people are in our community and probably higher risk than most, and they're touching surfaces. So if well, the thing I tell people is that if you're out, number one, you need to assume that you know, pretend as if you're symptomatic uh, have uh, COVID right? pretend you're infectious so take the proper precautions to assume that you know you're infectious because some people are asymptomatic uh, and, and still have COVID assume that everyone else else around you is infectious potentially right again a little bit of paranoia but that can kind of help how you navigate this new normal being out and about in public I've seen people kind of within that six-foot bubble who you know I saw one guy was at the bank yesterday friend friend waved to him from the other side of the parking lot he went over and shook his hand and hugged him and I was just that they're baffled. Um, again, those don't be and don't be afraid to not necessarily be standoffish about it, but but kind of gently mention to people who you feel comfortable mentioning to that you know just be kind of respecting that six foot bubble around people. Um, and and if we manage things like that, I think we're going to see things go well. My big fear is that with all these things opening, everyone gets far too excited. We forget that COVID's out there. Right, I, well, that's one of the reasons why actually wearing masks is potentially important because it's actually a visual, visible reminder to people that we're not through this. Um, apart from the possible benefits of wearing the mask, um, but we need to we need to remind ourselves that you know this is a new normal. Um, we're not back to normal yet, uh, and the longer we we can kind of continue these good steps and continue being safe about cleaning things and distancing and all that, the more things will open. And 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 we have to keep in mind too, there are a lot of businesses that still won't be open. Right, so if if we're not careful, and and don't don't uh, take the proper precautions, some of these businesses may never open for for months and months. Some people who are in nursing homes, they may not be able to get out of the nursing home for months. So those of us who are able to get out, who are back to work, we have a responsibility, I think, to be extra careful to make sure that we still keep going in the right direction, so that those who aren't enjoying the freedoms can potentially get those in the next uh, weeks to months. 
Great points. And a great point about masks, the idea that some people are wearing them, some people aren't, but they do become that reminder. They do become that, hey, you know, we almost need to write on the masks, keep six feet away. There are actually buttons that some healthcare workers have. I'm not sure whether, you know, you've seen them, but they will have, hey, make sure you are six feet away from me so that you have that on you and someone may read it and say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those little reminders. Got to keep practicing. Yeah, because it, 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 uh, people have noticed this, too. I, I, I would say subjectively I've noticed masks, I think, going down in the last week, which has concerned me. Um, uh, because when you go out and, and you, you go to a go to a, uh, a grocery store and no one's wearing, you know, you, you see dozens of people not wearing a mask, all of a sudden, it, again, you kind of get back, and it's very easy then to forget what we're, what we're dealing with here. Um, so if, if you've got a mask, if you're out, out in public, wear it. Um, be safe about it. It's, it's nothing to be embarrassed about if you're wearing a mask. Uh, it doesn't mean you're symptomatic. Uh, the more people, again, who are taking this seriously, who are distancing, again, the, the, the better people, because we all want to keep, uh, keep this progressing, right? We want to keep this momentum going. The last thing any of us want to do is have any regression. Love it. Well, we really appreciate the voice that you bring to this conversation. Dr. Elia, keep up the good work and be safe. You too, guys. Take care. That's Dr. Mario Elias. So again, this is not a black cloud situation, but this is a realistic situation. Dr. Elias mentioned paranoia, and some people might look at it and say, yeah, you guys are just being paranoid. I think there is a fine line between sensibility and paranoia in this situation, where, yeah, okay, it can look paranoid. Yeah, you're taking every precaution possible, or you're taking as many precautions, and, ah, come on, you're just being paranoid. But you're also being sensible, because you don't know. So it isn't a bad thing to do that, and it's never a bad thing to give reminders. It's why sports teams practice as much as they do, and one thing we don't do a lot of as humans is practice. We don't practice very much, unless you're learning an instrument or learning a language. We don't practice. What are we talking about? Practice? We don't. But in this instance... Never a bad thing to practice just when you're going out saying, hey, you know, I'm going to make sure that I do my part in not spreading this. Because the more we do it, the more we see the numbers come down. And the more maybe we aim for a New Zealand type thing where we say, uh, COVID-19, don't see it in our province. Don't see it in our country. Let's keep the borders closed. And maybe, just maybe, we can have that really far out phase that says, yeah, we can open this to this degree and here's what we can do. It would be a different world, yes. But at the same time, would it be better than what we have been seeing? Yes. Think back in time, think back to last fall. A lot of conversations about bike lanes in London. We had King Street with its bike lane giving us an east west corridor lots of different little shoulder checks for drivers to do and we've had some northwest bike lanes put in and then all of a sudden we get the big change that COVID 19 has brought fewer vehicles on the road because more people are either not working or working from home and while we haven't exactly seen an invasion of deer caribou some sort of goat. There have been a lot of goats. I didn't know there were there been that many types of goats, but you look at some of the videos in cities. Goats, they like to roam around streets when 
vehicles and pedestrians and cyclists are not a part of those streets. So we decided it was time to take a look at how everybody is dealing with this and maybe some of the changes that have been instituted to help make things easier for pedestrians, easier for cyclists, and certainly make mention of the people who are not adhering to not just COVID-19 regulations, but things called speed limits. You know the story about the guy going 308 kilometers an hour on the QEW, because we've talked at length about that. We don't need any more of those stories. What we do need is the opportunity to hear from Graham Larkin, who is the executive director with Vision Canada. Graham, thanks so much for taking some time to be on London Live today. Thanks, Mike. Always a pleasure. Graham is with Vision Zero Canada. And maybe we start with what is happening in cities that maybe is catching your eye do you see anybody that's really taken this as an opportunity to try things out yeah i mean i think there's really uh two kinds of cities uh that are, are two kinds of response to the covid uh crisis in cities uh and forgive me i thought we were maybe going to talk about these this stunt driving but uh, maybe i've got that oh don't wrong. worry we'll anyway. get to that all right. All right. Well, uh, a little more off the top of my head. Um, I think that there's, that it's, you know, really two kinds of responses. Some, some, uh, cities are rather nimble and are taking this, uh, COVID crisis as an opportunity to show their, their sort of their quickness and their creativity and emergency responsiveness. Uh, and one of the things that they are doing very, very early on months ago with, uh, Bogota and Colombia, for instance, uh, uh, more recently, uh, uh, cities like Paris is they are really making space for active transit at a time when public transit is, of course, suddenly quite perilous, like it's pretty dangerous. I don't want to get on a bus uh, at this point. I don't want my kids to get on buses at this point. So uh, one of the things that, we, that they're doing is they're making space in the cities. And we spoke about that this a month ago uh, for, for people uh, walking and cycling as a, as a way to not only avoid public transit in order to get to work, but just to stay healthy as well. Absolutely. Okay, well, uh, let's move to that story that has certainly caught a lot of interest and the idea that we've seen more street racing. Or in London, we had the story of somebody doing all these donuts in a parking lot, and then they came back and they did it again, where we've seen what appears to be reckless use of motor vehicles. What are you seeing at that end? Well, it's kind of an escalation, I guess, of what we were seeing before. yeah, there was that story about the whether it's the donuts or the, you know, cars going 300 plus kilometers per hour. It's kind of what we, you know, have always seen, which is young, privileged male knuckleheads. Like there might be some exceptions, but that's generally the rule are, are the ones who are most large often doing this. Uh, and they're severely endangering themselves. They're severely endangering their friends and frankly, anyone who might be on the same road. And what we've seen in much of Ontario has been at least a doubling of the incidence of uh, various kinds of stunt driving, and that can include uh, excessive speeds, uh, like you say, uh, the donuts, uh, and uh, you know there, there are a few other things that, uh, that that are called stunt driving. I think you know driving with someone in the trunk, or you know all kinds of stuff. But in this case, it's largely because the roads have been emptied, people have been speeding and getting up to these antics like the donuts a lot more. Graham Larkin joining us, Executive Director of Vision Zero Canada, as we do look at street racing and some of the things that we have picked up on. Now, when when we highlight this, do you think it provides an example of what not to do, or does it kind of suggest to people, hey, this is happening, and wow, maybe I should give it a try? 
Well, I certainly think that the mess that in, in the interest of safety, uh, the message from municipalities and from the province has to be, uh, you know, a good one. That is that we are monitoring this and that we are penalizing this in uh, in, in an appropriate way. Um, and the you know Premier Ford did come out, uh, who is you know maybe no paragon of good sense and civic virtue in his own youth, but he's done a really good job, I think, of responding to the COVID crisis. And he did come up as saying that the uh, the fine was a bit lenient. The you know the usual seven day suspension uh, and a couple thousand bucks was a bit lenient for the uh, that 300 kilometer plus uh, limit. Whether that results in uh, in action, we'll see. Uh, on the downside. Uh, in Ontario, I'm a little concerned, uh, or actually very concerned, uh, that uh, it was announced last month that the, the photo radar machines, the, the ASC, the automatic speed enforcement, was just shut down. They probably shouldn't even be announcing this on the radio because people will be like, oh, cool, all right. Uh, but they, they're not even, at least I, I believe that in Ontario, those processing centers uh, that um, were, were, were shut down, I hope, because they were called non-essential services. Uh, and I hope that that will be... Uh, Quickly uh, deemed essential and uh, and put back into uh, into operation because of course uh, you know when the streets are thinned out and people are walking more we need uh, automatic speed enforcement more than ever. Yeah, and that's something that you're right. Did we even realize that was a thing? And it wasn't necessarily trumpeted from the top of the mount, was it? Yeah. In any case, uh, so so as I say, it's a mixed. Uh, it's it's really a, you know the, the response from the from the province has been uh, not bad and the COVID in general, uh, but uh, we need to be you know a little more attentive uh, for sure. I, you know, I certainly hope we can get the automatic speed speed enforcement up. And I think broadly speaking, uh, that you know for the future, uh, you know, there's many techniques and technologies and laws that could that can uh, help address uh, stunt driving both you know, during the crisis and, and after. Uh, but I really think that uh, that automated speeding enforcement is the most uh, the most cost-efficient, the most equitable, uh, and, and in the long run, just the most, you know, accurate and good uh, system uh, that, that we have. And, Graham, it feels like we had it. You know, we, we had it, and then we just didn't pursue it. Do you ever wonder what the world would look like around here if we had kind of kept on the road we were on with regard to automated speeding and and photo radar? Well, it's it had just barely come in in Ontario, and then it you know it it, it kind of got stalled uh, by this by this um, by this COVID thing is really what happened. Um, well, and you know, and 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 you know, in terms of and, and thinking a little more about what uh, what other um, things we might do to uh, to to disincline this, I always like to to look at best practices uh, uh, worldwide, and and kind of a fun thing. Uh, an interesting law that they use in Finland and Switzerland and other places is they actually have the ticket amount, that is the fine uh, for speeding, linked to your income. And they have what's called a day fine. And, and they basically, what they do in Finland is they make a unit that's half your daily salary. And uh, depending on how fast you're going, you'll have a certain number of units. And that's kind of an interesting way of getting people's attention. I mean, there's literally a guy in Switzerland who's fined like a million dollars. He's probably a billionaire, but you know, got his attention, and that uh, I guess that helps pay for things uh, as well. Isn't that a neat way of looking at things? Wow. Well, lots of things to consider and discuss over the next little while, but we really appreciate your time, Graham, with us today, and continue to be safe. Yeah, you too, Mike. Always a pleasure. Take care. Take care. You too. 
That is Graham Larkin. He is the executive director of Vision Zero Canada. We'll take a quick break on London Live. Up next, we'll talk about a totally local and awesome business in this area. We'll continue to get you closer to Ontario Premier Doug Ford and what he is going to discuss today. There's thought about golf courses. There's thought about some businesses. There is thought about harness racing. And again, as Dr. Mario Alaya outlined as we began the show, yet remember, you know, these things may get more of a green light or more of a, a new normal light that they can operate underneath. But at the same time, it's up to us to say, yeah, I got to continue to do what I'm supposed to do and do it how I'm supposed to do it in order for this to remain the new normal. Otherwise, we've been warned of this and it will happen. They'll roll it back and they'll say, yeah, you know what? People were not able to do what they were supposed to do, to behave how they were supposed to behave. We see case counts going up. We cannot risk overwhelming our health care system. So back it comes. Back we go to square one, ground zero, whatever you want to call it. And that's one of those things that we do have to keep in mind. Contact tracing is something we're hearing more about. We discussed it yesterday with the makers of an app. We've seen it around the world, and we've heard about how it's been used in some other countries. Let's check in on Germany right now, because Germany has been a very interesting country to follow. If we were to look at one country that really had its health care system in a position to handle a pandemic like COVID-19... Germany would have been at or near the top of the list. They have dealt with 174,000 reported cases. But if we go back to yesterday, their case number was actually quite low in terms of how many new cases they had. It was under 1,000. And if we look at the total deaths in Germany... Even though they are right along with France in terms of the number of cases they have had, get this, France has had 27,000 deaths. Germany has had 7,000 plus. That's a difference of 20,000. And in countries that have similar numbers of cases, Germany has done very, very well. Now, in another way, Germany is also looking to prevent the spread of COVID-19, just like we all are, but they're using different strategies. Claudia Cataccio joins us right now, and we get to check in on how Germany is doing. Claudia, thank you so much for taking some time for us today. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing all right, Mike. I'm really excited about uh, some of the restrictions being lifted from tomorrow, like gyms being able to open again. So I'm positively giddy about that. <laughs> well, that's good. We're kind of giddy about some things. We're not quite at the stage of seeing gyms reopening, but we're taking things like golf courses or marinas or things like that. That's the stage that we're at. So what else is open and running maybe in, in the new normal way or close to how it used to operate in Germany? I mean, it's not exactly normal yet. Uh, like, for example, um, um, restaurants and bars, um, pubs um, can reopen again with certain restrictions. Uh, you have to adhere to certain distance rules. Like, you can't sit very close together unless you are of the same family and live together anyway. Um, 
They are encouraged to use more outside space, weather permitting, um, because it's apparently more difficult uh, to spread the virus in an outside environment. And then what else? Um, children's playgrounds can reopen again. Um, all of those outdoor things like golf courses. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, gyms, I mean, also with restrictions. So, you know, you can't get too close to anybody. You have to disinfect everything. You are not allowed to shower there or use saunas. Um, but, I mean, it's a small price to pay for, for resuming a little bit of, of, of what you're used to and also just getting among people again, even if you do have to wear face masks and kind of stay away from them. At least, you know, you can sort of do like a virtual high five across the room. Um, so... <laughs> uh, I'm I'm just really excited because I, I missed it and, you know, it, it gives you the opportunity to also just see some friends again and have a bit of, um, you know, reactivating your contact with the community. That's, I think that's been the hardest for most of us to, to be, to feel isolated. And uh, now we still have to be really careful and we obviously don't want to risk the achievements of the last weeks. Everyone's aware of that, but, you know, it would be really great if we could, you know, resume a little bit, like a slice of normalcy, um, and still see, you know, um, the the rates slow down, infection rates, R values, incident rates, all of that good stuff. Yeah, let's hope. Let's hope that those numbers continue to go in the directions they've been going in both Germany and and here where we are as well. Claudia Cotaccio joining us as we talk about Germany. Contact tracing, is that something that has been dealt with in in a major way in germany and if so how does it work um it's a super interesting topic actually so uh one of the things that started it off was that the um robert koch institute so that's our public health institute started introducing an app whereby you could donate data so you could download the app and then it would uh, pull data from your smartwatch or like, um, you know, fitness bracelets, like the Fitbit and things like this. And it would use um, data without identifying the individual and grab things like, you know, your pulse. Um, for example, if your resting pulse is, is elevated, that's normally associated with a fever, if that lasts for a couple of days. And if there's a cluster of people somewhere with, you know, having that happen, it could give you a cue as to, um, a localized outbreak, and uh, they would use data like that. They now want to um, take it a step further with contact tracing, which would be yet another app. And uh, the big, the big debate with with that is um, whether you're going to go for a centralized or decentralized approach. Um, now, the centralized approach just means that all of the data that is going to be collected would be stored on a central server that is associated with um, a national authority like the healthcare service. And that is where a lot of Germans were were not comfortable with um, that scenario and uh, were having a mild freak out about, you know, big brother-like scenarios and big data being grabbed. And so what's now being discussed, and it's likely going to go that way, is a decentralized uh, contact tracing infrastructure, which means that um, IDs are um, stored locally on your device and data can only be uploaded with users' permission. Um, so, and also Apple and Google threw their weight behind that option, which, you know, kind of 
eliminated anybody who wanted to go with a centralized version, which, by the way, though, France is doing. France has opted for the centralized version, and, and so that's going to cause um, a bit of an issue with, you know, the European Union wanting to create one app or, like, one approach for all so that, you know, it can be used across borders because we want to reopen borders again. And then if people are starting to move, it would be really great to have, like, one app structure. So that's uh, throwing a spanner in the works there. But it is understandable that people are very concerned about becoming traceable by a national authority. So if there's a way around that, I think more people would be happy to use it. <laughs> We're not even at that stage yet, but I know that those conversations are kind of happening from people who are concerned about where this could go. So how close would you say Germany is to declaring, here's what we're doing, and just off we go? Uh, I think we're quite close, actually. So uh, the current um, most popular version of of this app is being developed in um, cooperation between uh, German Telecom, which is providing the mobile infrastructure for it, and uh, a global software company of German origin called SAP. Um, They're developing it together. They have released the first concept um, of what they're planning on a platform called GitHub, so it's um, it, it shows open source software, so people can actually look at what they're developing. It's quite transparent. And they are looking to make this available, to have this ready uh, from mid-June. So about another month, and they could be ready to go, um, provided that, of course, you know, um, the government's on board, the public is on board. Because if, if the public is not game for this kind of solution, it's not going to help if you have an app that nobody uses. That's it. And that's that's exactly the conversation that keeps going on here. How do you feel about it personally, knowing that this is coming and it's just a matter of how it's going to be done? Well, me personally, I'm I'm a little bit less fair about these things because I'm what what uh, we call a call a kind of Facebook victim. I'm I'm all over all social media. I'm probably <laughs> they they know everything about me already. It's, it's probably not even funny. Uh, just judging by the advertisements I get, they they know my mind. So it's a bit late for me to to object. Um, but here's the thing: I completely understand the the concern. And I mean, I've 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 read works by American sociologists on surveillance, capitalism, big data, privacy, antitrust laws, blah blah. I get it. But this thing is unprecedented, and and an app like this could preserve some personal liberties and some freedom for us to to move about, it would mean that we don't have to use a blunt instrument like a complete lockdown again if there is another flare-up, which, you know, it it could happen. Um, If we have something as sophisticated as an app that that could localize an outbreak and therefore you could take measures in a particular location and not shut down an entire country, I'm willing to give up some data for it. Um, I, so therefore, it's controversial, but I, I think I'm, I'm on, on, on the team, take my data, but let me have a little bit of a life. Yeah. Hey, I'm I'm right with you, but I love the way that you say use it as a tool because if it's a tool that allows a little bit more openness, if we're willing to follow these restrictions, hey, it's wild how you are hours and hours in an ocean away and yet still dealing with the exact same things that we are in dealing with this. Claudia, thank you so much for the update on this. Thank you for the discussion on contact tracing. Keep safe and do enjoy doing the things that you're hopefully going to be able to do very soon.
Thanks, Mike. I will. And you stay safe and healthy as well. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is Claudia Cattaccio in Germany. So that's the conversation they're having. And a couple of things about that. So a centralized, nobody's too wild about that, a centralized data collection in order for them to institute contact tracing. Eh, There's a little bit of pushback in Germany from that. Decentralized, but the real key here, open source. And that kind of keeps it looking a little bit more transparent. And the idea is, if you want to allow them a little bit of data so that they know who you've been in contact with, people aren't going to like that, but that's the tool. If you're willing to do that, then you get to do this. You get to do this. Take off the tinfoil hat on this, because it's coming. This is coming. So... Think right now, get used to this right now, the idea of this, and we'll see how it's handled here. We heard from the app maker who we spoke with yesterday, LiveNow Technologies, that they had been talking with governments and then all of a sudden that went silent, which makes me wonder whether the government may be using a different app or who knows. But this kind of thing, this has been talked about for a while, and they're looking at unleashing it in June in Germany. I don't know where we would be on this. We don't have any indication. But this is the kind of thing that will help to provide a little bit more freedom, believe it or not. But in the end, people are always going to ask, at what cost? Don't know. But we'll aim to find out as soon as we can. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3. 